you like conversation on a variety of topics? Feel like no one wants to talk about the things that interest you? Tired of only hearing the same political, sports, or catastrophe talk? Yeah, we feel that way too. Join two high-functioning geeks as they discuss just about anything under the sun. We can't tell you what we'll be talking about each week because we don't know where our brains will take us. It will be an interesting conversation, though, so hang on and join us. Here comes the Relentless Geekery. Alan, good morning. Oh, green. Are you wearing, is that green? Uh, Exactly. Um, We color coordinated. I have many of these. They're like uh, from JCPenney or something like that. I'm Uh trying to think what the brand name is, but they fit me perfectly. And so it's like, how about one in every color? And then I have, of them now that's good because green's like the opposite of orange so it's the antithesis of your favorite color exactly that you know it's uh what's funny is i don't wear as much orange as i once did have i talked about this i wore so much that i became known as the guy in the orange and then i found out that there was a guy that they called the orange man on the east coast that was actually an oddball maybe even a lecce oddball and there's like now that i'm going to more now that I'm more towards the East Coast of Cleveland instead of Chicago, and when you go to the AG, I don't want to be, oh, there's that jerk. There's right, that. yeah. Talk to him. So luckily, I think I'm different enough that I get to wear orange without being labeled the orange man. That's worth, if you go to conventions and stuff like that, or one of the things, a lot of places nowadays are having codes of conduct, and mm. they make it so that everybody there has a good experience, that it shuts down the worst of the trolls, the worst of the bullies and the jerks and stuff like that. But way before you formalized that, there was always that underground network of people knew who the jerks were, the people who were bad drunks, the people who were pickup artists, the uh, people that would corner you and have a two-hour-long conversation on their favorite topic. You know what I mean? Already back then, you had that, especially, I don't know, the ladies seemed to have the network of warning people away from the people that would take advantage of the fact that you've never met them before and they can be all smooth and charming and slick and get you drunk and take yeah. advantage of you. Like it's always been. That's getting together for festivals. Part of it is losing your inhibitions and in a human way saying, let's make sure that we don't have inbreeding in our community. Let's go with other <laughs> communities. And I think that's one of the slightly darker sides of social media now and so much connectedness. There, we talk about it. Connectedness is good. There's a lot of good stuff. but downside is you see when people say oh i had this experience there's one person saying it at this one thing they went to with this one person but then they see a million people see that and it makes it seem like it's bigger and more than it is so then everybody starts assuming every convention every person and as a guy when i was dating again it was like i'm afraid to say anything do anything is someone go hit me with a lawsuit or harassment I'm just being innocently saying something, but, oh, they took it the wrong way because bullying nowadays isn't they punch you in the playground and knock you down. It's I said something and I'm bullying you. Exactly. (laughs) I had a difference of opinion, but I said it so that you didn't like, I know what you're saying. Yeah. The phones come out way too easily and early nowadays. So I have a prime example. Go to Halloween every year, which is the big Mensa annual, not annual, regional gathering in Chicago right around Halloween. And a friend, Bob Finnegan, was doing a lecture on, and this is a funny Mensa topic, the sexual practices of animal. And really, it slides that you can see, oh, that's how musk ox do it. That's how praying mantises do it, including that they kill the male after the female is 
all that kind of stuff. Which well, is, again, a, a Mensa type thinking, you know, all that information I'd like to know. It's not meant to be pervy. It's not meant to be explicit, in whatever. Exactly it's a topic. Right. It's scientists talk about this. They study this. There's a scientist out there right now that has a jar of piss that they're studying. And it, it's just so that's exactly it's, right. It's, it's much more on the medical science thinking side. Yeah. I just wanted to say. The reason that I mentioned that is that Bob had asked me and another friend, Kerry, to be up there to demo various of the different things. It's the Animal Kama Sutra? And that's what it was. It was like, I thought it was going to be like pointing at, like going to the screen and saying, look, that's what a a squid item looks like or something like that. <laughs> oh my but God. instead, Gary and I are both funny and game people. And so we like, what would it be like to have squids with eight arms and all that kind of stuff? The minute that we did anything like that, the cameras came out and we were like, please don't. The reason that we're doing this is because we're all friends here and this is a safe place and it's going to be ephemeral. It's going to be for this silly hour. And then yeah. we're going to go on to our next program. But if this gets captured, it'd be like, Senator Baltus, would you care to explain this particular game of Twister that you were involved in? Exactly. How weird is that? And so I share your, not paranoia, but caution about you just can't do anything and maybe it's good because now bad policemen can't get away with it and bad directors can't get away with the casting couch and stuff like that. But there's all kinds of innocent, silly behavior that also follows you around forever. You know it, what I mean? It, it's the same thing as like the Dunning-Kruger effect. The people that are the experts don't feel they are and they know there's more they should know. And the people that aren't are the ones that say, oh, I know everything. It's kind of the same thing. The guys that aren't going to be the salacious, pervy ones are way more cautious. It's the ones that say, oh, I'm not that way. That really are. It's that same type of thing, but it gives the whole group a bad name because again, people read all these posts and it makes it look like it's way more than it is sometimes. Exactly. And just that you can present it, not the entire context of what was going on, but you can take that one 30 second thing and have it look really awkward, but that's not what was going on there. And this funny, so people are, and I hope this is a whole big topic, actually. The more that we get to where you can't like be a fool when you're young and then you grow up. But nowadays, it really is that people are like getting branded when right. they're 15, when I didn't know what I was doing. I was an idiot. I was a, a stupid boy. And then you find out that some behaviors are not welcome and you, you self-identify saying, that didn't, well, that wasn't at all what I meant to do. It was just right. a moment. So I just that, I'm really happy. There's any number of posts about Thank God that I grew up when whatever awful things I said, prejudicial, and it's kind of, I'm not prejudicial, but they sure sound that way, that, that's all gone in the mist instead of being forever and now that's going to follow you. And this is a weird thing. People have this weird thing about I, if I'm there, that I'm part of the thing, that I'm actually almost the celebrity. So people, when they take selfies and stuff like that, it's like, I have to prove somehow that I met Tom Hanks or whatever. And it's, that doesn't give you the right to intrude, though. The fact that you're there and that you're going to capture it, that, that doesn't give you equal standing, but people act like it a lot. As long as I'm within hearing or seeing distance, that I can somehow know I'm part of the scene. And like, I don't know, that's having seen, there's always been that way with certain people that have that paparazzi gene. But they're determined to capture the picture, or especially that they're determined, this person is walking the red carpet and they look beautiful all the time, but then... They get a little gum on their shoe and they're going to clean that off. And that's exactly when they take the picture or something. 
They're right. looking for the awkward moment. I don't want to see a royal tripping. I don't want to see a, a celebrity that I like sneezing. And yet, some and then, really love that stuff. But they clickbait. You know? It's like <laughs> that they have a video. And when you're, you take any video, us here, anything of anybody, you go frame by frame, you'll get a scene where they're transitioning between looking here to looking there and their eyes are half closed and their mouth like that. And they're like, they're having a stroke. We can't trust. It's like, my God, it's literally one twenty-fourth of a second on a video frame. And come on people. How it's funny. So I will say this. I often speak for political purposes. They'll try to catch exactly that. The worst of each of the presidents and all that kind of stuff. And I know when I've seen pictures of Biden that he looks awkward. They had to go through a lot of pictures because usually he comports himself very politely and presidentially and so forth. And they had to find, like you said, that transition, that awkward picture. Whereas when I see two dozen photos of Donald Trump, they're pretty consistently, man, what a jerk. He's always sneering. He's always like, he doesn't look pleasant. He looks aggressive. He looks. He- the worst of them, of course, where he fakes being handicapped and makes fun of that. But in, yeah. in many other ways, just he doesn't look like you You don't have to search to find a bad picture of him. There's many bad pictures because he maybe he doesn't care. Maybe he's unaware of how he's presenting himself. Maybe that's part of his persona is to always look like he's the barker. He's the guy that's leaning in your face. And that yeah. kind of is his business persona. There's any number of people that he's intimidated or cheated because he just doesn't care. He doesn't right. care that he's wrecking he's his reputation. Better than you know? everybody. Exactly. And, and, and unfortunately, the people who don't care about reputation, who don't take that as a warning signal, then they're the next. Yeah. You know what I mean? After you've heard that he screwed over his last 10 contractors, why would you be the guy that's going to build him a deck? Why in the world? Nope. You know yeah. what I mean? <laughs> but people do. Looking <laughs> at some of the news and things going on, it seems like uh, more people are coming at him like yeah you know what we need to talk and he's getting his come up and more rats are abandoning that ship it seems and maybe that maybe it just took whatever that monument of data whatever that wave that was going to finally push it past we just don't really have all the information no now we have more than enough yeah and of course we had more than enough information then he already had a 70-year career as a grifter and a con man and a liar and a and yet people were wow he says well what i think and feel it's like (laughs) you think that you should be raping people? You think you should that, be walking into roomfuls of partly clad 13-year-old girls? You think that you right. should be making fun of a handicapped person? That talks to me a lot more about you than Trump, my friend. That's his <laughs> superpower, his skill. Yes, you're absolutely right. Teflon or something. He's able to figure out what people want to hear and say that. He doesn't necessarily mean it. It's not necessarily the truth of what he does. But when he says it, he convinces them that, hey, I'm saying exactly what you want to hear. and. There you go. That's all yeah. you get. I hope you don't mind this. I, you know, I've been reading this great book, The Hundred, the most yes. people in history. And so much of it is about what does influence mean? It means, do you have lasting influence? Do you have effect on peers or other people that carry on your good work and so forth? And so there really are some pretty nasty people. Niccolo Machiavelli wrote a whole book about that the only way to win is through force and violence. It isn't negotiation and pleasantry, if you will. And there's any numbers. Stalin was an amazingly influential person while he was conducting horrible pogroms and death camps and and all that kind of stuff. What will the, will Trump be part of history? 
maybe because he was the lead of this weird seismic sad period in the United States where we just abandoned decency for a couple of years. You know what I mean? We just right. decided that to let the worst of our nature out and he was our avatar and it'll we'll write ourselves. You can't have a nation stay together without there being a certain amount of please and thank you, without there being a certain amount of contract matter that you have to keep your word. Right. He it, gave ourselves a taste of what it would be like if it was really back to the Wild West and brute force and BS like that. You know what I mean? Yeah. And we've talked about that. It, not all history is good. Not all things that make an impact and people should know about are pleasant and good. The bad stuff sometimes needs to be. We still we have a whole description word, Machiavellian. And so there's an impact. Right. And Trump, we really won't know. It has to be history. It has to be in the past. So when he's dead 20 years post, then people will reassess. You know, the kids being born now that really don't know any of that, when they're 30, 40, that's when it's going to start shaking out a little bit. Exactly. It was reassuring to read about Napoleon kind of conquered a lot of the civilized world, but then he was indeed, he lost, he was exiled twice. You know what I mean? He died. It's that there's, there is still justice. It might, it might be that the wheels grind slow and that it takes a whole world banding together to stop the Hitlers of the world. But there is something about human nature just isn't going to allow for, I don't know, whatever terrible, you can be influential by committing atrocities. And yet the world writes itself, because sometimes when you see that, you say, never again, me leader. And we can only hope that we learn the lesson of that, that it's not just, I don't know, I'm reading a book from you know, of 2,000 years of people. That's how long recorded situation. Right. <laughs> because there really are a whole bunch of BC people, Confucius and so forth. And yet we really have, the system writes itself out of humanity won't stand for it. They won't stand being subjugated for any more than a certain amount or a certain amount of time or a certain amount of terrible depravity and people that we're concerned with nowadays the like Pol Pot terrible tyrant dictator but he was around for five years three years was quickly disposed of because he was aggressively insane and I hope that <laughs> sometimes it takes and I've heard this over and over with the groups I run in it takes our stories to bring that about that's what science fiction does it points out the flaws in society without beating you over the head. And now we've got our superheroes fantasy. It's doing some of the same stuff. I think the comics de delve into things deeper, Tony's alcoholism or how he set everything up for civil war. They didn't capture that in the movie, but right. they bring it out and more mass people are the stories get people thinking. So exactly. And in fact, another thing they talk about is there's any number of people who did great work, but there's a great I have, I've done what I could because I stood on the shoulders of giants and that they show some of those amazing through lines of you don't get the space program without the first people that did electromagnetism and the first people that did gravity and the first people that did like, how do you make a combustion engine? You know what I mean? Right. And that's not, of course what we use for the space program, but that idea of, can, yeah, like how do you, now we have metal that can withstand pressures that we've never had before. So you couldn't make the, you can't have a wood steam engine without it waiting to explode all the time. But once you start to have new materials and new ideas of how to harness them, Henry Ford, he made a vehicle and not only that people could have one, but that many people could have one and changed the society with the Model T and the Model A and whatever else it might be. When you've got a car that starts at $1,000 and comes down to like two ninety, and his vision was, I want everybody working in my plant to be able to buy one of these. This shouldn't be where I make gym shoes in Laos. 
and send them off because I can't afford to wear them. Do you know what I mean? There's something very important about his vision of we need a middle class. We need to have this enabling thing of the assembly line and appropriate wages for working on that assembly line so that people can buy my their own product. And I don't know, we we don't have enough of that nowadays. We don't have people who are actively saying, I put it this way, the ones who are doing that don't get the press. It sure seems that the people who take advantage, the people who are really, you know, they've got a hundred thousand employees of the Walmarts or the Amazons or whatever else it might be, and they're not able to make enough money to stay off government health assistance still. Well, what kind of job is that? And I know this why this is funny. I mean, it's not really relentless geekery, except it is studying these things and big statistics and big movements through history, the way that you identify them, the way that you are able to say, yeah. that this doesn't seem right. It's not an individual. People telling stories, as you just said, is incredibly important. But it's also everybody looking at each other and saying, we all have the same story. Walmart moved in, hollowed out our town. We're all now surfs. We're all indentured servants to this big company. What have we done? We didn't know we were getting into that deal. They didn't know that 50 years ago. They have known it for the last 50 years. And yet town council still, sure, let's bring them in and kill our downtown. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah, because <laughs> they present, it'll bring these jobs. It'll bring this tax base, whatever. Yeah. But, and we joke about it, but seriously, the, you connected to geekery, Sim City emulates a large part of that. You have to watch where you put factories next to the business and the schools and the, you put a factory in and suddenly a booming residential area drops and you get more crime. And so you have to think about that. So uh, there is a definite, uh, again, that's what we like to think about. We were talking about the pervy stuff earlier. It's not that. It was interesting knowledge. So uh, how towns are set up and how the economics work, that's all stats, interesting knowledge. Yeah. Uh, I'll tell you, that. what a great example. Sim City has got to be like 30 years old. Oh my God. I played the first Sim City on an Amiga in 87, 88. Me on a Mac Plus, where it was still black and white. There was, we didn't have color yet. <laughs> and yet, what you just said, all the lessons of you start things rolling, and then you start to see maybe not unforeseen consequences, but you have to actively manage what's that going to do to traffic? What's that going to do to the tax base or how things will continue to grow? without you being the one now directing it. Now you're starting to pull the levers of the system, but it's not everything that you're God in controlling the entire thing. Things have their own momentum and their own growth initiatives and stuff right. like that. So I learned incredible lessons. And in fact, I hope that part of the reason that we're now getting to, what are we going to do about roads versus high-speed rail? What are we going to do about hollowing out cities and returning to walkable cities? Is because there were enough kids growing up playing SimCity that now they're saying, wow, we really are beset by those problems. I actually kind of learned how to do that in phase X of the game. And let's right. apply some of that. Let's build hydroponic towers for food instead of it having to be the sprawl of farmland. Let's not have roads be, and there's a whole terrible book about this. You, you, if you remember, you could put roads pretty much anywhere. You're going to put it through the center of the town. You're going to do a beltway. And when you put it through the center of town, whatever neighborhood was there, it gets disrupted, cut in right. half or whatever. And there's unfortunately a lot of evidence that that was a tool, an evil tool used by various different cities to break up minority communities and to their 
they have no vote. They have no say. They're, it's the poorest property, so why not there? But then wherever you doom, whoever's living in the shadow of that thing, to like poverty and disruption and pollution and everything else. So nobody advertised it that way. Nobody said, hey, you're going to get a road and you're going to have, they're going to say, hey, you get an on-ramp right in your neighborhood. Well, how nice of you. But you get all the blight that goes with that. And provably, now that we've done this a number of times, we know what's happening. The worst example of that has got to be the Vogons and their horrible poetry. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and if you're going to let them put in interstellar bypasses, you have to go with their art. Too. Go find it in the cellar and that locked cabinet with the one light and the leopard or whatever. Beware um, of the leopard. Exactly. And, that, and you're right. That's the great thing about some of this stuff. SimCity probably inspired a lot of uh, planning engineers and stuff like that. It's just like rock band, even though people are like, oh, if you're going to do that, you might as well learn to play. You're missing the point of a video game that it gives you that fantasy and that the play. But there are people that played rock band that now went on to play music and enriched their lives because of it. Real guitars, real drums and stuff. Exactly. Uh, video games can be dismissed, but it's a bigger industry than football right now. I hear you. So I love all different kinds of music, but some more than others. And some, one of the reasons that I often dismiss them, if you will, is because they're too simplistic. There's three-chord rock. There's nothing to the Ramones or the Velvet Underground or whatever else it might be. And the reason I mentioned that one is I saw a great quote that said, Velvet Underground was not the band that won all the awards, but it's the band that everybody else hearing them said, I'll start a band. It caused the creation. Have I mentioned this before? That it was like this seed and everybody's if they can do it i can do it i'll get up on stage and same maybe with iggy pop and the stooges and there's a certain amount of youthful energy if not right. craziness but then everybody's inspired to be i'm going to give it my shot and some wonderful things came out of that sometimes it was only reactive if you will the sex <laughs> pistols didn't exist to make pretty music they did so they'd have a stage on which to tell Here's how horrible our system is. And right. I got nowhere to go except to stand on stage and yell. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah, it's funny you say that because some of those groups were created by corporate minds to specifically oh. take advantage of that. And exactly. they still Malcolm created a phenomenon. Right? <laughs> exactly. So it, <laughs> I know we're all over the place, but that's because this all is <laughs> how our minds work. I'm seeing uh, the latest cover of Rolling Stone is another K-pop band. Korean pop that is taking over the world in many ways. Yeah. It's amazingly popular, making lots of money, many videos and stuff like that. And yet it really has gotten to be, well, I don't know which one this is compared to the last half dozen. And I know them by name or I know them by occasional songs that I hear, but it's not my kind of music because it is kind of simple and like repetitive in its themes and stuff like that. It's all I'm a machine. Or <laughs> complex. But yeah, they have the songwriters know how to crank out a three and a half minute perfect song and they know how to style each of the it's here's the blonde and here's the brunette and here's the redhead it's and, just the music version <laughs> of the anime you know you have five characters in the anime group you have the strong guy the smart guy you have the girl you have the stupid one it's exactly. the same thing as a boy band or girl band too I, and, they're, they're absolutely especially multiple cultures of that there really is that, that cross-pollination of cultural archetypes, if you yeah. will, it's really apparent in their music and in their games and in their live action stuff. But when are we going to have, I don't know, what's the equivalent of the Super Bowl? That must be all K-pop bands. The biggest tour is going to be 
them taking over like a Super Bowl sized stadium. Yeah. They started doing that in the United States. And, and I don't know, young people, young girls who really fall in love with them and like tickets, however, are not young girl prices. So mom or dad has to take them. Right. <laughs> and there's this incredible industry because what you just said, the corporate people who created them, they didn't do it. Hey, let's give these young kids a chance. They did it because I know that I can have this be not a flash in the pan, but let's say a five-year run. Yes. You know what I mean? I'm going to make a ton of money off of They're total corporate (laughs) creations. Okay. We want to do this group that's this style and this. So get these five guys. They all look good together. Make that one a little more earrings and stuff. Make that one the leather jacket and teach them to dance. We got two, three albums out. We had a couple hit songs. We made lots of money. Nobody cares anymore because they're 22 and too old now. Let's right. move on to the next one. And it's a corporate product is totally what it is. What's funny is some of, the, some of the stuff sounds great. They really do find people with great voices and great dance moves. And so if you're going to produce a product, it isn't schlock. It's like crystalline oh, yeah. it, for the thing it's meant to be. But And maybe on the other side of that is Dave Grohl just had a great quote saying, the whole point of being in a band young is that you're going to suck. You just have to get out there and play and know you're going to suck and still have a great time doing it because you're with your buddies in a garage. And then, oh, my God, our first gig at the rec center or something. I love Dave Grohl. going long enough, you'll stop sucking. You will get better at it. That has always been, I guess, my my American example and British and various other places is that you got to be in those skiffle bands when you're young to make your mistakes tying it together what we were just talking about suck when nobody's really watching you and filming you get it all out of your system and then by the time you're ready for your first album your first video whatever you at least like you're watchable and listenable and right <laughs> and that's the k-pop compared to what we normally listen to that's one of the things when i was at the supernatural convention and saturday night concert with loud and swain and god come on when god's singing for you you got to be a good band <laughs> that's right that's right <laughs> but I loved them because they were a classic sounding grungy guitar band. That's what they were. They didn't have synths. They didn't have a lot of weird effects and all sorts of things. Nothing wrong with that, but this is what they were. And there's just sometimes that garage band sound and feel of a crunchy guitar. <laughs> I, I went to school in Champaign-Urbana, Illinois, the University of Illinois, and I loved when the bands I loved came through, the UKs of the world and stuff like that. But what did I, what's some of the best times I had at show? Captain Rat and the Blind Ribbit, a local band that just went up there and they had their hour and a half set of all perfect bar band, perfect grunge band, if you will. George Thorogood, the reason I still love seeing him is because he's like the most accomplished at that. He's like a bar band made good. And his, I, who knew that? I'm so much, how many songs of his are about drinking when I'm not at all a drinker, but right. I'm there singing one bourbon. Yeah. He hit that. Exactly. And, and that's, he's not trying to be anything else. He's not trying to be what he's not. And he hit that so perfect with that. And there, exactly. that yeah. I love, there's just times, man, you got to get that guitar band and crank it up a little bit and just rock out with it. Yeah, exactly. The blues influence the, I, you can, where they came from because he'll talk about you know, that he loved like hopkins or I, i'm not he has many times like his it's the same kind of like inter-song dialogue and stuff like that but that's what you're there for it's almost yeah. not comfort food because it is aggressive but it is 
that's what I want to see tonight. I want to see him and his band having a great time. I want to hear that deep saxophone. I want to hear him on slide guitar. Another good song with stuttering in it. It's ACDC. Every other song, some middle grade, middle school sexual innuendo joke with a heavy guitar and drums. I, I have grown to appreciate them more than I did. When I was young, they were one of my nemeses because they were so popular and pushing out other music that I wanted to hear. But now I, they found their niche and they filled it perfectly and they have five great albums. Have we talked about this? Like the number one selling album of all time or some huge distinction is Highway to Hell. That it's like, it's sold. I, want, I don't want to get the numbers wrong. 40 million copies. Yeah. Like, or maybe it's the band has sold. So when they was talk, it Highway to Hell or the Black Album? Back Where, in Black. It could be either one of those. Yeah, I think yeah. it's, yeah. But, and I think might it be that they as a band have sold like the eighth most of any band ever total. And I would immediately say Beatles, Rolling Stones. I could start naming the ones that I, the Eagles that I know are popular. Pink Floyd, because they had an album that was on the charts for five years. Yeah, ago. The Wall Forever. You know? Or yeah, Dark Side of the Moon, sorry. Exactly. And But then, did you see? Really? Well, because they were for the perfect time, they, they had four albums in a row that each sold five million copies. Whatever. I, 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 knowing that no matter what, the Allman Brothers have sold more than uh, like certain bands that I admire because there's something to be said about who doesn't want to hear a good Allman Brothers jam or a good ACDC Thunderstruck. And yeah. Thunderstruck is actually one of their like more orchestrated fancy songs. It yeah, actually. Big balls. And, and it wasn't like even a 70s or 80s. That was in the 90s even. <laughs> That's right. That's right. That was their renaissance. That was yeah. their comeback. <laughs> yeah. You know who I miss in excess? They he, lost Michael Hutchins. And he was a great front man. Uh, uh, but like they had, they were a, a hook hit maker machine. I don't think Hutchins was the main writer. I think it was two guys in the band, maybe even brothers. But boy, when they, when MTV first came out and for that 10 year period of 80s into 90s, they made great albums. Blonde and great songs, great albums. I just, I don't think they're touring anymore. I really don't know much about them, but they definitely, the heart went out of them when they lost their lead singer. And I think they actually did find a replacement, but it, it wasn't the same. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Going back, we were mentioning Mensa and the, the RGAGs. The AG is coming up, and I know it's coming up really quick. And there's a really great program. So, again, we've talked about this in the past. People listening, probably a lot of people listening already know what the AG is and the program. But if I do have a few people I know that listen that aren't in that circle and realm, it is a huge get together that has so much variety. And the program is such interesting topics that, like you said, it's not just rocket science it, and there are weird funny things people juggling sometimes or knitting people talk about writing music or writing books people talk about games and playing games and they do tournaments absolutely so what's on the uh, the program for this year that you've seen wow it's funny part of our mission in relentless geekery is to pull back the curtain a little bit for the non-mensons so they can get an idea of what it's all about and why i don't know it's become a big part of, of colleen and my social life always has been we actually yeah. met through mensa the annual gathering is like 1,500 to 2,000 people. This year, it's still a little bit lower because of fears of COVID, because airfares are high, various different factors. And also, like when we had it in Indianapolis, you've got half a dozen major cities within reasonable driving distance, whereas it's in 
outside of Reno, Sparks, Nevada. And besides Reno, you got to go to Sacramento, Las Vegas. There's just, it's not a, an easily reachable place. You really have to do work to get there. <laughs> so having said that, there's still hundreds of programs. One, one, a, a couple things. They have, Mensa has many SIG, special interest groups that are, cover every topic you can imagine. There's hundreds of them. And so one of the things in the annual gatherings, a chance for them to have a meet and greet. So the people who are in the Disney SIG and the Second Amendment SIG and the science fiction SIG, they all get the, a chance to like, you know how it is, finally put a face to a name. You've been corresponding online, maybe social media. Now you do get faces more than you ever did when it was back in the days of email and BBSs. But there's a whole <laughs> different experience when you're like, wow, we've been friends writing back and forth for 10 years. And here you are. Right. You know, so glad to meet you, David. They have, this is very Mensen, they have what's called a debate room, where they have moderators that make sure that the discussion doesn't just turn into standing at each side of the room and barking at each other, that it's actually, hopefully, sharing of facts, sharing of opinions, but learned ones and that kind of stuff. But they don't deal with, what's your favorite macaroni and cheese? They're, the topics are gun control, climate change, vaccination, like big things. So I tend to, let's see, having just said, maybe it's not that bad. I've been to a couple of them where there really are people, boy, they have an ax to grind, they have an unshakable opinion, and they don't have the best social skills, so they often will try to talk over someone replying to whatever they just said. The quality of the discussion is not based necessarily on what facts are being exchanged. It's based on the quality of the moderator that rides herd on the people that you get two minutes to talk, make your best point, don't spend it all in rebuttal of somebody else, just that. So, I tend to not do that because I tend to not like arguing. I like discussing. And yeah, there's a difference, better, big better. difference. <laughs> yeah. and, and so they have all kinds of local tours. They have, uh, we're gonna, they're going to go to the Discovery Museum. They're going to a place like where they, it's actual uh, either a distillery or a brewery or both. You get to see the behind the scenes as well as, hey, sampling. They have a thing called Brew and Bike. Where Have you ever seen these? I think it's six people sitting at a thing where they all pedal together. And then there's a table and they all like, you know what I mean? So it's a way <laughs> That's of hilarious. while mobile, but not in a car. So you're not doing that. Um, they're going to the, they're going to see some wild Mustangs and then they're going to the Mustang ranch. Oh, which nice. is, Mustang ranch is not where the Mustangs go in when they're done running around for the day. The Mustang ranch is a brothel. So people get, I don't know. I have no experience of brothels. I'd be curious to just go in there and say, this is so nice. Hey, Look at this. Yes. You know that's what the majority of the mentions that I know would be like, oh, I'm not interested in like paying somebody $300 for two minutes of sex or whatever. But what are these people like? Why are they doing it? What's it look like in there? That it's again, exactly. it's more of that medical, scientific, clinical side, the interest, the facts, the knowledge, right. not, not so well, much. The mentions that would be, hey, I'm going to the Mustang Ranch. Do they have a coupon online? Should I yeah. <laughs> I remember the one AG I went to with the kids, I think in Florida, they had one of the writers or producers of Big Bang Theory that had a book and they got up and talked about some behind the scenes stuff. So things you wouldn't hear normally, not even at a uh, going to a convention with the actors. This was somebody that most people wouldn't be as interested in, but they told us all sorts of cool things like, the, the picture out the window, they changed it. So the background scenery of the city changed through the seasons. See, that's um, cool. That's and smart. all yeah. the, all the, in the background, they always had whiteboards with scientific and stuff. 
right. were all real. They weren't made up. They were. I all remember that they had actual. some who vetted them particularly to make sure that they wouldn't embarrass themselves in front of the yes. community or whatever. Yeah. So I mean, the little things like that, and how the floor plan of the apartment they're in is unrealistic because it, it, the way it turns, you could never build a. <laughs> it, it's almost an Escher building. Okay, that's funny. If you watch and pay attention, you're like, oh my God, I never realized that before. That doesn't exist. So yeah, little things yeah. like that. It's, I don't remember particular ones, but I'm sure that there's a couple of those. There, there's all people that here's, we know about older Hollywood, that there's what are the current movies being made and they have comments about the special effects or about in a writerly way. What's the, let's look at the Star Wars universe and really say, how does all these new series fit in? And that fanboy heaven, if you will. They have programs on all kinds of local history. Um, oh, yeah. Not necessarily, like, they're going to have something about the Comstock load. They're going to have all kinds of what were the migrations across the United States, the uh, Conestoga wagons and all that oh, kind cool. of stuff. What were the past things about the Oregon Trail? Anybody who's played the Oregon Trail game will be like, oh, there, that's some real pictures. You know, that kind of thing. They uh, they have all kinds, like, they don't necessarily have tracks, but there's a sprinkling of there's all kinds of wordplay and language stuff. Richard Lederer, a guy who's really good at met him together, all the little sayings. Well, how come you can park in a driveway and drive in a parkway? That kind of thing. <laughs> he's he and lately he's had a guy named Bill Shipper, if I remember correctly, that they actually do a musical presentation where it's little parody songs, little things almost built, like folk music about right. mundane modern things, if you will. I'm going to be doing a program on the multiverse. You know, I, I'm talker and uh, so there's comic books there's books all kinds of things represented they have many tournaments one of the men many mensons are gamers and a one of the cool things about going to any mensa gathering is if you're the one that was always just like blowing through your friends and family because you're too good at magic like you said prepare the perfect death deck and stuff like that there's a whole bunch of really accomplished people <laughs> at dominion and at Catan and at puerto rico and at Ticket to ride and all that kind of stuff. Do you up your game and have a really good game if what you want is true equality and true long term strategy and luck? That's right. And they have gaming, they have a huge games room where they have hundreds, literally, like literally 300 plus games that the that Mensa has accumulated. And they actually are a traveling collection that goes to each of the annual gatherings and they're all curated so that you have. Here's the party game. Here's the strategy game. Here's the word games, that kind of thing. And Oriel and Casey, brilliant programmer and designer, actually made an app that lets you walk into the game room and say, I'm looking for a game that'll take about 60 minutes with four people, and I want it to be medium difficulty. And boop, it'll spit out a list of what you might oh. want to try. Oh, I got to find so, that. That's awesome. It's really, in fact, I by being the publicity guy for the AG, that's why a lot of these things are in my head and easy to be mentioned but that's one of those things instead of walking in and feeling just overwhelmed by the volume i'll start at a hope i find a good one no it can actually give you of course can just say i'm gonna to go to my old favorites i feel like playing scrabble or you can there's such a variety of cool things and, that you can try to find a cool thing and there's almost always a group that's getting ready to play or what and they're like hey anyone want to play we're doing this and it's very welcoming and open for the most part most of the time I've always loved that. You know what I mean? That Colleen and I have walked in and joined in just any number of things because they were looking for two more. They they have, oh, there's wonderful special events this time. Hats off to Tabby. We have a, a comedy show, a show. Mr. Mensa. Mr. Mensa, exactly that, which is, it's 
Mensons, male and female. It's what Mr. is M-I-S-S. For the Mr. Mensa crown and sash. And I think it's sexy legs, personal interview, and talent. And as you might imagine, some of them are really talented and give you a beautiful piano piece. And some of them are like, I'm going to juggle puppies or whatever else it might be. Just enough seriousness and just enough absurdity that it is a wonderful couple hours of seeing people that like they left shame behind. They're out there willing to share. And it's a charitable event for the Mensa Foundation so that people vote with their dollars for who they think is the best candidate. There's judges. And that let's see, that only has a certain amount of weight. There's actual judges that they have that are the ones that are really going to make the choice, but they actually have an auction for one of the judge seats. And so if you're determined to be in the thick of things, you can do that. And actually, they've even expanded it now where people, they already know who the candidates are for it. So they've actually got like little videos and things out on their various different websites and social media saying, are I'm playing a pirate. Jen Zabelski, I hope I pronounced her name correctly, won two years ago, three years ago. And part of how she did it was she did a great prelude, a big buildup of she looks great in her pirate mistress costume and just inhabited the character, if you will. And then just kind of, I love seeing that people have unexpected talents. When you talk with someone, you don't realize they have upper quality voice. You don't realize that they really can play guitar. Won't get, not won't get fooled again. Pinball wizard and really do it. You know what I mean? It really sounds great and stuff like that. They're they're doing it on accordion with a drum at their feet. That's the type of weirdness you get sometimes. They dress up like a Dr. Seuss character and play the Dr. Seuss type instrument. So that's fun. Who's who's the keynote and what's the colloquium? And we actually we're building towards that. Okay, sorry, jumping ahead. No, no, perfect. Thank you. It the colloquium this year is on giftedness through aging. In other words, it isn't only that you have gifted children, that gifted children turn into gifted young adults and older, and they talk about how there's various different ways in which you can embrace that gift and better it, make use of it, share it with others all the way through your life. And so Colleen and I are, wow, we're both hitting 60s now. I don't think I'm put out the pasture yet. I still got a pretty good brain, but how do I maintain it so that I'm eating the right food and doing the right activity? The more that I play Wordle, is that keeping my word brain active. Yes, it is. That kind of stuff. The keynote speaker, very interesting this year. There was a great book that came out about the mathematicians that helped do, do the Apollo 11, right? Apollo 11 moonshot. That this, there weren't computers back then. It right. wasn't, we all have this amazing device in our hand. So they had, especially ladies, black ladies that were amazing calculators. I think they were even called the calculators. And they put us on the moon. Of course, it was the bravery of the astronauts, and it was the construction of the space capsule and stuff like that. But the ones that actually figured what's the exact trajectory that we're going to do so that we use escape Earth's gravity, use the moon gravity to do the right orbit while we're there, and make it back alive and safe. And not only that, you got to remember, we're moving, the moon's moving. So you have to get that precise time so the least amount of fuel and effort to meet up. Exactly. That's crazy. Celestial mechanics of we only have a certain amount of fuel, all those things you just talked about, and they really figured it so that like they they did it, they checked each other's work. They were like they often had they did have, of course, some mechanical devices. Babbage's engines have been around. They had the Iliac and the Univac and moving towards, but what they would often do is here's what the computer says. Excuse me, Loretta, would you mind checking this? They 
trusted these brilliant ladies as much, if not more, than they trusted the computers that were coming up with these calculations. Having said all that, the keynote speaker is the lady that wrote the book. And darn it, why is my... Hidden figures? Is that it? it? Thank you very much. You are so bright. Trivia Uh, of the day. Exactly. Hidden figures. And so she's the one that like unearthed that great story. They were really not well known up until 10, 15 years ago. Made a big movie about them because all this information came out about the first of them were starting to die. And it was like, this is not fair. They're going to go unheralded forever with this incredible contribution that they had made. So she's the author of that book and will hopefully tell all about. I nice. did interview all of these brilliant people and brought the story out and the struggle to get the movie made because sometimes there are people that are happy to think, nope, it was all John Glenn. It was all yeah. uh, Neil Armstrong. It's I'm, that's a really cool. We've had any number of keynotes over the years, that, and now they call them gala speaker because there's a dinner associated with it, that have been a little more in the entertainment world. You know, we had Will Wheaton, for instance. Yes, I missed him. I felt so bad. But that's not necessarily heavyweight science. This, right. is, this is really Mensa quality, Mensa level type stuff. So I'm looking forward to that. A couple of years ago, I remember the one, maybe it was the Florida one, that they had just talked about how the whole universe is ringing like a bell. And there was this big article and the guy who wrote the article was the keynote that year and talked about it. Yes. Uh, yes. And, and now my tragedy is uh, dad passed away in February. Mom is in memory care. We have court cases going on in California that are going to be getting conservatorship of my mother so that we can take care of her, have medical and financial power of attorney to make sure all that happens. When is our court date right now? It just got scheduled to 7-8. It's oh. not at one end of the gathering. It's right in the heart of the gathering. So I just let Beth, Weiss, our AG chair, know that. I'm seeing how much do we need to be there, need to be there virtually. What do I have to be in California instead? It's certainly not looking good. So I went wow. into like wonderful publicity show mode and, hey, you got to go there. And now it's looking like I'm going to get aced out. Colleen and I might not be able to make it. And I just, I can't believe it. You know what I mean? It really was that we've been working on getting this done for months. And, and so we're going to see what happens. It's not right. And now I'm less than a month away. I don't have, we're checking, but one of the, it's one of those things where it can't, we can't just say, Oh, how about another date? Because it's probably going to be like another quarter wait. We're getting where money is tight. Mom's care is the most important thing in the world. We can't not have the ability to do certain things to make sure that she's taken care of and safe. And so we don't want to give up this date if we don't have to. I'm not the only brother. And yet we're finding out what we have to do. Good luck on that. And so, But other than that, the, besides all the cool activities, it's a thousand Mensons all goofing off together. The quality of conversation is amazing. Like how we ricochet around and bounce off each other. It's like that at every table that you sit down at. Everybody is well-read. Everybody is, they have got great life experiences. You can't mention a place you travel to that does someone doesn't say, oh yeah, did you try the south side of the mountain? It, and then the conversation cool. isn't just going to the beach or the tourist attractions. It's a like, okay, if you like this food, there's this small little place we discovered. Or uh-huh. if you really want to see this cool little getup, there's a cool statue and what it means for the history of the Civil War. It's those little things that people will bring up more so than what beach to go to or what uh, shop to go buy something at. Exactly. I've talked about this before. To me, one of the big gifts that you get from people is 
when they tell you about the thing that unless they told you, you might not stumble across it on your own. It's a little bit an obscure record. It's an obscure place to go. It's a cool food. And I used to, before phones, smartphones were available, I still carried around like a little notepad in my pocket and pens because I took notes all the time as to someone told me a great joke, so I'd write down the punchline so I could share it later. Someone told me about a good TV show to watch that I was unaware of and stuff like that. Hey, Pook, are you heading out? I'm heading out. Okay. Hi, Colleen. I, I, Hi, hon. <laughs> okay. <laughs> that, I'm on my way to Pittsburgh. Yeah, there we no, go. Yeah, to, to, my, to our listeners, that is my wife, Colleen, going to a client in Pittsburgh that she, she does travel for business doing retirement plan type things. So I love you, Poop. I'll love see you too. soon. Okay. All right. So just that. You get just barraged with cool information. Yeah. And and also, I love it when you're the guy that can share it. You know what I mean? That that you're the one that has listened to the cool, like Vangelis just died. Who Really? Exactly. I didn't hear that. Unfortunately, he passed away. And he's really well known for Chariots of Fire. And uh, let's see, 1492, he did a couple of great soundtracks. But boy, I had an album of his called Albedo 0.39. Who has ever heard of that? It's a great album. It has a song called Pulsar on it that is just one of the best pure synthesized songs I've ever heard. Albedo 0.39, the albedo of something is the reflective power of a heavenly body, and 0.39 is Earth. And so when you see us from space, that's how much sunlight gets reflected off of the Earth to make us this beautiful, glowing nice. marble. <laughs> so nice. anyway, cool. <laughs> All right. So here, let me shift gears on us for a minute before we run out too much time here, because you got an appointment to get to. Dentistry today for the... Yeah. <laughs> so we... We were talking about the Worldwide Developer Conference and Apple, and yeah. then right after that, they came. MIT came out with an issue they found in the M1 chip. So right. I read a little bit about it, but you're probably much more immersed in it than I am. So it's, wow, it's big news because it is an unfixable flaw. It's in hardware, and what it is, is there's a thing called, let's see, packet, no, pointer authentication codes that the way that sometimes exploits are done is they can put code into memory that isn't authorized to be executed, but then by changing a pointer somewhere, they point the next instruction pointer to go do this code, and they can have something run that was not allowed intended by the operating system. They have a system now where you use pointer authentication codes to make it so that you can tell that these pointers have not changed, so that there's no way to plant this bad code and then manipulate the system. But what they found out was that these there's only a certain number of variations on the security that they use to make sure that those pointer authentication codes are indeed unchanged. And even if it's a relatively big number, it's not an infinite number, like doing true cracking of DES level encryption and so forth. And of course, infinite, infinite is not the right number, but it's one of those things that's in, impractical for modern technology they found out that this is actually a limited enough number that not only can you plant the bad code but you can defeat that pac checking that is what any number of places make use of to guarantee against that happening and what's interesting is it was all done for the right reasons nowadays boy this is this is an amazingly fascinating topic and i am only on the surface of it but i've always been interested in it chip design nowadays is amazingly deep it isn't just run this instruction as fast as you can. They have 
how do you do access to the memory that you're going to need or even the hard drive? And how do you prevent having to go to the hard drive? Because it's 100 times as slow. So you start doing caching and keep that in memory. How do you do? I've seen many things execute like this before. I'm actually going to start doing things predictively where my guess is the next chunk of code I'm going to use, the next kind of instructions I'm going to execute are this. And then they do a quick check to make sure that it is, but they've already got it in memory instead of waiting for it to load from a lower piece of memory, like they got in the fastest executable. And so they've done a whole bunch of stuff now to just optimize the bejesus out of things so that things can really run at the teraflops level that we're seeing from the latest, fastest supercomputers. And how much of that can you duplicate even down on your desktop machine or in your phone? But having said that, the more that you do those things, the more that you create complexity and complexity that can perhaps be exploited by someone saying, well, if someone's checking to see what code has been preloaded to be executed, I could act like preloaded code. That's right. where I could put stuff. And it's the only thing that's making sure it's not bad is those hacks, the authentication codes, and I can defeat that. So right now, it isn't a real bug in the wild because loading things into memory in beyond what and it's interesting because the MIT article didn't go into enough of this. And again, to geek it up, Apple has a thing called the security enclave that it makes sure that everything runs in its own memory partition. You really can't have spillover, if you will. Old exploit used to be that you would, um, in various different database things, you could have load code and it would actually load into memory and spill over into another right. section of memory that might still be called upon to execute. And whatever evil code was in that tail end, you could then point to that. And that's where you put your payload. They now have it so that you really can't do that. So there's still lots of things in place to stop bad code from being loaded and to stop the manipulation of pointers, the next executables like they're talking about. But what they know is that in this is in hardware on the chip and that you can't issue a software update, an operating system update that now right. prevents this thing directly. You have to make it so that all the other protections you have in place are always in place and enforced so that you can never create the conditions where this could happen. So I'm trying to think what the exact security guru phrases are for this. It's been seen in the lab. It's possible, but it's not possible unless you just say, here's my machine. Try to screw me. I'll give you all the permissions you might need, but that's not how machines operate. Not now. You really yeah. do have a whole set of user permissions, system permissions, et cetera, et cetera, that's actively managed by the OS, and it's looking for intrusions, and it's looking for um, de continually detecting that's not how this should work. Let's go check and see why. So it's not in the wild. It's not out there, and like what they, the term often used is a zero-day exploit. Occasionally, they find things that really are out on machines and that they have to patch it right away now, zero-day, or it could be manipulated by the bad guys to cause bad execution on Apple devices, Intel devices, wherever else it might be. This is not that. And yet the fact that the Apple was so pleased and proud of their M1 chip with all of its advances, that now it has a mark. Now it has this possibility of something happening and that they always have to protect against it. So it's, it is, wow, what a gut punch. All this enthusiasm yeah. by developer well, conference about all the cool things that they're doing. <laughs> what I take from this, and not throwing stones necessarily, but yeah. one of the dangers is you get these religious fanboys where Apple can do no wrong, that everything's so perfect with Apple and they're so much better than everybody else, when in the reality, there are 
problems. There are updates. There are bugs. There are things, security holes that get fixed all the time. It's just, we don't always hear about the hardware ones. And the difference is too, because Apple does the hardware and software, whereas with PCs, you get hardware manufacturers that are separate and several as opposed, and the software is different. But the problem is if you don't continuously realize that just because we're getting better and we're upgrading and things, every time we add new features, it adds more possibility for other holes, other problems. And every time we change something, it's another possible issue. You got to be alert. And it also shows that you can do everything you want. There are still problems that you may not even know about. It's just our world right now for every system, the phones and everything. I'll tell you that another, I've been to multiple technical conferences and like many, and one of the things that I often go to, even though I'm not actively involved in the field is I love going to the Q&A, sorry, the QA discussions, quality assurance, because there's a whole different mentality of people that go with. So this thing does all these wonderful things. But while it's doing all those wonderful things, how could it be broken? What's the attack surface that bad guys could look in and say, I can do bad code. I, I can act like a bad actor. I can get in the middle of a handoff between two known good actors, all the various different things they try. And one of the things they've talked about was you can do amazing regression testing, that it does all what it's done in the past and these new features with no anomalies, no differences. And so far as we can throw all kinds of tests at it, every corner case, every exploit that we can dream that someone might try, um, it stops all of those. Then they started to have, I went to a great session on um, futzing, fuzzy logic type stuff where you don't do things that you think a human being might do. You just try anything. You just like, as if you put your catwalk across your keyboard, you put your elbow down. What if I did that exact set of key presses? And I remember they had a session on, why do I never remember the name of this? There's a particular primitive line editor that has come with DOS and then Windows forever. And it's not in the Unix world. It's not V or it's, let's say line edit. It's called line edit. And that was thought to be rock solid. It's been around for 20 years. It's, there's just nothing wrong with it. And then someone discovered that there is a particular weird thing that can break, that can make it stop responding. And after everyone in the world had used it and tried to break it because they wanted to be the first one saying, I'm the mighty guy that's figured out what was wrong with line edit. It still is that little tiny bit of uncertainty that is, wow, we really still haven't tried absolutely everything. There's still a possibility that someone's going to spill their coffee on the keyboard and it's going to, oh, I just wrecked line at it. I don't know. I'm being teased. Right. But uh, the, what I love about that is that as long as, what am I as a user going to do about that? Going to learn how to do QA testing on my every program in the Microsoft Office suite or something like that. But what I do is I make sure that I set up what are my malware engines that I use and that they're always auto-updating to make sure I'm getting the latest malware and antivirus and all those exploit definitions to prevent that from happening. I'm going to make sure my operating system is always as updated as it can be because right now the biggest problems with Windows is not, of course, Windows 11. It's all the people still running like Windows XP. 95, Windows 1, Windows XP, exactly. Yeah. And that there's glaring security holes, but... It's still running somebody's cock shop in Wyoming somewhere. And they that's where they got all their tire inventory. So they're they can't move off of it until they make the big push to to anyway. It's so I having and what's one one interesting, I do that for both. I'm tech support for the house, 
So for Alina and me, I take care of our desktops and our laptops and our phones and make sure that we have not only all the malware detectors, but we actually have a cool thing that if ever one of those walks away from the house, and remember I mentioned I use this out in California, it actually like you can talk to your phone from afar, find out where it is that it's still sending out. Here I am at 123 Dove Street. You can go to that place and say, hey, thief, do you have my phone? Anyway, it, Colleen just, we've had a hundred different system updates applied with no problems at all. Apple really does have it down now that what I was just saying about having it doing it on for you automatically. The reason it does that is because it does it at two in the morning when you're not on it and it does it where it doesn't wreck anything. You come back to your, without even realizing that your machine has been up, refreshed and spiffed up and further defended. One of hers didn't. One of hers went south. And it wasn't Apple software. It was that her hard drive, her SSD hard drive, so not even mechanical failure, but something funny in the memory. And I've spent, this is no lie, two weeks trying to do everything I could to get the hard drive back to a usable state so that I could just complete the system software update. And I've finally gotten to the point where all of my tools, Tech Tool Pro and Drive Genius and Apple's Disk Utility and everything, cannot get me back to a workable state. But luckily, and Apple has this cool feature, you can set what minimal operating system I can run on it in what's called safe mode or recovery mode, actually. You can set it so that your laptop is treated as a hard drive, that the contents of the hard yeah. drive are still available as if it were an external drive. So that's my next step is, I, and I thought I had one, but I had to buy a USB to USB cable, like mail to mail, because you're not attaching it to another peripheral. You're attaching it to another computer, if you will. And I'll be able to use disk recovery tools that they don't really care that there's now broken sectors or something wrong. They will look at all of what they can get to in memory, recreate the directory structure if they can, recreate the files, and especially all the various different file types, so that it's not just this terrible mishmash. It'll actually be able to say, here's your Word documents, here's your songs, whatever else it might be. But that takes time, and I'm about to try doing that. And if I do that and we can't retrieve some things that Colleen really needs, then we're going to send it to one of those salvage places and they've got sophisticated tools sector by sector on the sector by memory sector. now <laughs> and one of those things like hey my laptop fell into the ocean they got it and they got all the brine off of it and they were still able to recover data off of it and there's valuable enough stuff on there that we might actually pay hundreds of dollars to make sure we get everything off of there and, and having said that that's still we actually are not only smart about what's trapped on her laptop back up to the cloud every day. I have a local backup here that's done over our home network. And yet we don't want to have the uncertainty of, did you get everything? Right. So nowadays, that another machine costing $1,000 doesn't matter as much as $1,000 perhaps of lost data from the accumulation of her having had that box for eight years. Oh, we're going to see what's next. I'm hoping that I get a nice complete recovery. Hats off to Apple. And if Mac Microsoft and the various different hardware vendors have done it also that they have things that can go into target disk mode. You know what right. I mean? So that's available for the Windows world as well, because it's going to be a lifesaver if I can do it. But just give me the data. I don't right. care about everything. Else. That's why I learned, and this is changing, but why I learned long ago not to really save things on my C drive. Yes, programs usually install by default, even if install on a separate drive, you're still going things in the registry and stuck in Windows folder. But yeah. most of my documents are external drives right. and they are also backed up by a cloud-based backup unit. And my documents folder is 
also my cloud-based Google Now. So when I save a document, it syncs up to Google, plus it's on an external drive that gets backed up to the cloud. So that, that is the key. Don't lose data because what's more valuable than your time and your creativity? Right. Is there anything worse than like, I just wrote a perfect chapter. Oh, I, it's gone. I got to recreate it. Yeah. It won't be as good as what I wrote. It won't be. I think right. that's my feeling is that I like my first inspired version of things. Oh, so good for you that you've got all yep. those redundancies. Hopefully. Yeah. So good luck on your project. I'm going to find <laughs> and it'll be interesting. Out of town, I'm going to take care of it this afternoon or so. I hope. So it'll be interesting to <laughs> see what happens with Apple, see if anything comes of that law and what they do with. Now they've already got the M2s, so now they have to make sure that they don't duplicate it in the threes. That's exactly right. But then, and they, from what I understand, they found it in M1. They haven't found it in M2, but I'm not sure if they tried duplicating exactly the same way. And do they know? I'm waiting to hear. I'm waiting to hear the news as to whether that's an inherited thing because yeah. some of the base level tiny code is exactly the same. Okay. Hey, before we go real quick, Colin gave me a trivia for you, and it was specifically for you. Now, let me preface this by this is Colin's trivia. So we haven't, it hasn't been looked up enough to make sure it is 100% accurate, but he was pretty darn certain that he was right, that he's done. He's been reading like the X-Men from when they started and every issue of everything up to today, he's been working his way through it. That's a huge mythology. Good for him. Oh, my God. That's an amazing saga. Here he did it with Batman and Green Lantern. So it's just... So he asked me, what is one the one character that has been a member of the X-Men that did not have mutant powers? And he, he made sure to say it is not like later a lot of these characters were in and didn't have a mutant power, but they retconned it or they changed something. He's like, at the time they were in the comics, in the group, yeah. did not have mutant powers. There's one character he's found. That's interesting. So let's see. Does it have to be human? Because like Lockheed the dragon, a Kitty Pride's pet, is not mutant. It's just He was a- considering a human actual member. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, there are a lot of pets. It's one of those when we told me, I went, oh, I guess that makes sense. But I didn't get it. Yeah, so, boy, nothing springs to mind because you would have thought that they would have had that as being like, oh, we got to make sure we protect Doug because he just knows languages and he's not really a fighter. <laughs> right. But of course, that turns out to be a really important thing to be able to communicate with lost civilizations, aliens, and so forth. So, um, what's Doug Cipher, I think is his name? Was that still Howard? Early or late? Like, um, back to the 60s? It's or- not that far back. It's a little bit more modern. Okay. Nothing comes to mind. I, I was the same way, but okay. you'll probably go, ah, oh, he said, Juggernaut was oh, okay. a member of the X-Files. Because he gets from the uh, Crystal of Cytorac. Yes. Instead of, okay. And I, I should have started thinking of that. Who got imbued or armored or something magic as compared to, because magic is magic. Peter right. Rasputin's sister, Elia. So she's got limbo powers is that that he also has mutant powers i don't know the great that's great exactly yeah. marco right professor x's brother half brother yeah that half was exactly. part of why he was in it but okay colin said he had no mutant powers so i'm going to ask him if he's come across to anyone else because he's still reading but i was like and it, it, i love it because once you know the answer if you know the whole thing it's like oh that makes sense and i love yeah. that you know 
It's a great yeah. trivia. Well, I'll throw this out there. I just had a wonderful conversation while I was getting Colleen's car serviced on Thursday morning, and a friend from Chicago, Bradley Slavic, just in, inherited like 5,000 comics. And he was looking at what might they be, if valuable-wise, what's the path to do that in terms of grading and selling, and also just what should I read? He's enough of a comic book fan that it's like, wow, there's so many to choose from that it's kind of, I don't know that I want to read all 5,000. So we went through title by title, and sorry for the bit of crowing, it was a delight to be able to say, oh, that's a great series of issues. That's the Frank Miller Daredevils where he first introduces Electra and Bullseye, and, and the Kingpin moves over from Spider-Man. And no matter what he asked me, almost, I had a good feel for that's cool or that's not. Like, Firestorm has always been a relatively lame character to me, and even though they've had multiple good writers on it and good artists on it, just the premise of it being a conjoined person that has elemental powers, they just haven't done anything to me magical as compared to, he's got some Sandman by Neil Gaiman. He's got Doom Patrol by Grant Morrison. And I was like, oh, you're in for such a treat. The TV show that they've created is very much based on the Doom Patrol Grant Morrison version, the really odd, what the hell is going on here stuff, <laughs> right. as to pseudo superheroes, but tragic because they had an auto accident or whatever else it might be. It was a wonderful trip down memory lane because a lot of that was like he had old Teen Titans from the 60s. And those might not be greatly written. They were kind of like almost mod where they were trying to bring in, hey, sidekicks are people too. And they'd have them, they, they, <laughs> Kid Flash and Aqualad and, and Robin and all that kind of stuff, obviously. But then, and so they're valuable. If he has them in good shape, those are some things that because it wasn't, a, I don't think, a huge seller back then and hasn't been an acclaimed title where people kept grabbing onto it. But he, if he has old Teen Titans, that's some really nice, valuable stuff. Old Sandman, I think there were so many copies printed that it's going to be hard to make those valuable, but it's going to be a joy to read. Yeah. So I, I had such a nice... And I had got to go into the thing of he has any number of things where uh, it isn't necessarily a run of the title, but there's a whole collection of things where it's, oh, that was the summer annual series where here's the one about Atlantis attack. Here's the one about Eclipso takes over the world. Here's about, and they used to have those big enclaves where they get all the writers and artists together and say, okay, we're going to do a big across all the titles type thing. And this time it's going to feature Sano. And actually most of what he was talking about was DC. So it's going to feature dark side, DC equivalent, if you will. And he had some authority that, and not all DC, he had some stuff from Wildstorm. And I love the authority by Warren Ellis, fantastic stuff. And then I said, oh, so if you have read the authority, you have to find planetary. He didn't have any of that, but that's some of the best stuff I've ever read, especially if you're a person that hasn't only read comics, but has read other paperback series, other old pulps other science fiction. There's a, a whole bunch of wonderful, it ties in Godzilla type monsters. It ties in Sherlock Holmes. It ties oh, in nice. Doc Savage, that kind of stuff. And those guys, besides of what you, all the stuff you just inherited, please write down that you have to go to the library and find planetary because you'll, you, you're in for a treat if you read that up too. So I, it inspires. Sometimes when I do my comic book talks, I focus on a specific topic, if you will. Hey, we're going to do the multiverse and we're talk about all how location matters in comic books. One thing I should do is just go in there and say, folks, here's the top 20 things. If you read these things, this is as good as literature as I've ever read anywhere. It's not just comic books. Sandman is amazing. The Dark Knight Returns is amazing. Watchmen is amazing. 
to do that. Make a list, 10 to 20 or whatever. We'll put it on the website. Alan's 20 recommended exactly. graphic novels, comic books. For If you're yeah. like, look, I don't read it. I just want to read some of the best. Here's some the best. Make That's a list. Right. We'll put it on the website with links. I really will work. I've already, I've been thinking about this for a long time. So when I was doing the Smart Life, I actually had some formative versions of that. And especially sometimes it's not, oh, here's the title from one to 30. It's more, wow, the title was going along. Daredevil was looking along. And then all of a sudden starting at like 158 or something. I don't remember the exact number. Frank Miller shows up. That's a breath of fresh air. That's a great new take on it. And when Alan Moore took over Swamp Thing from Marty Pasco, if I remember right, it was like the anatomy lesson. That is as much a supernova in the middle of an existing comic book run as I can, I can ever. It's so good such an upping of the game in comparison to what had gone before and any number of other examples i can give that he has some superman where it was the doomsday run where superman dies and then there's multiple replacement supermen and how each of them works or doesn't work and they actually did it was a whole crossover and a lot of oh you're going to sell a lot of superman titles i can see what you're doing here but the stories weren't just half they really were pretty good and yeah together and there was real drama and stuff like that and same with green lantern and then Green Lantern going parallax because his city gets destroyed. I don't think I'm giving any spoiler alerts on a Hopefully not. Title, but you know what I mean? The, the Green Lantern, where stuff go in there, there's an entire spectrum of various different lanterns, various different powers based on color, which is the greedy one, which is the love one, that kind of stuff. And I just, I had a great time reviewing all those and thinking, I got this big collection and I've been so much concentrating on cataloging. I need to like go get myself one to 100 of fan man or whatever. I made one to 72, however long it ran. Yeah. And, just, and just take good care of them. It's not, hey, I'm going to bring them into the house and then I'll spill a drink on them. But let's, I really, some of those would really be worth rereading, man. Old Legion of Superheroes with the Great Darkness Saga by Keith Giffen and stuff like that. Just, there's some fantastic stuff in comic books. Like just that. Once I'm thinking that are popping out about what's the best, that's my list. You know what I mean? If you haven't, especially like Given, Given did great work on Justice League, where some of the titles were really serious and like just same good global level villains that only the Justice League can take on. And then he did some other really funny stuff about the soap opera of the Justice League, about how Martian Manhunter likes Oreos maybe a little bit too much, that he's addicted to these silly snack cracker cookies. And just that ability of a writer to not only be the kind of writer that he is, but to put on a different hat. And I love that comic books have surprised me so many times in my life with you think where something is going. And then you like have to like just kind of put it down. And Who can I tell about this? Oh, freaking good. <laughs> oh, yeah. Colin, like I said, he's been going through. He did Batman, he Green Lantern, like he, he compiled, he spent two weeks looking up every issue that contained Batman references, cameos, whatever. All the brave and bold, all the justice league, of course, yeah. world's yeah. finest. And yes. uh, yeah, just everything. And then made a list. This is just his OCD coming out, but he made a yeah. list like chronological order of what he wanted to read. And then he would go through and he'd check them off. And it was like eight pages or something. And I'm wow. like, dude, you have way too much time on your hand. I got some chores for you to do. Was but, he able to find everything he wanted to read? Because old world finest are like from the 60s. That's not hard to find. That was very difficult for him. That was part right. of the fun and challenge. 
I do think there might be might have been a few that weren't exactly. It might have been a little under shady means of getting them because <laughs> yeah. I don't think he got the actual physical of everything. Some some stuff just you just will not get a hold of. Yeah, but he really does try to hold it in his hand when he wants to read everything. Exactly. So. I'll tell you what: if you're not trying to be a collector and getting good quality copies of everything, you can pick up whole runs of stuff in beaten up condition for next to nothing. Oh yeah, because they are. If anybody who's a collector, they aren't as valuable. But if all you want to do is read those, I have often thought of doing that. That I should not care about that, but I would love to have more like forties, fifties Batman than I have. My Batman starts pretty much when I came into the world in 59. And there's all kinds of first appearances and interesting stories and science fiction Batman and mystery Batman and whatever. That's a, if you really read every single Batman appearance, that's an amazing achievement. Oh God. He spent like three, three and a half months and he was reading like three hours a day or so. He reads pretty fast too. So he, and again, that's why at the store, People come in and ask him, what's your picks? What do you like? What do you think yeah. of this? And he, he's got the authority now on it. So That's very cool. Yeah. Wow. I'm impressed. Honestly, that I have just read them as they've come out and I've filled in gaps in my collection and so forth, but I've never done that thing of, I'm going to, I'm, wow, wow, I, I'm inspired. You know what I mean? <laughs> That's cool. I, I, there's certain things I can say I've read every single one because- they only started coming out when I was collecting. So I really right. have read every single Lobo or whatever. He only has existed for so long. Okay. Yeah. Very cool. All right. I know you got to get moving. Me, me and the dentist. Thanks. Thank you for bumping our schedule forward a little bit today. No problem. What do we talk? We have to talk about the boys. We have to talk about, there's a whole bunch of good TV-ish there, things coming There out. is too much TV. I was like, I started naming series. People like, oh, if you watch this, I'm like, no, I'm watching this. And I'm like, oh my God, I forgot about the, oh, this just came out. And I'm like, there's not enough time. It's summer. Why is all this good stuff coming out in June? Yeah. I just last night I was I'm working on other things, but I often now have my left monitor, I have something running that to watch. And I started watching the No Time to Die, the latest James Bond. Oh. And it's really good. And yet I was like, I'm just not giving this the respect it deserves. I'm glancing over and seeing here's the great battle in the and I kinda I don't want to do that with certain things pay attention and get all the nuances of a new thing. Or when I rewatch something that I really love, I don't want to watch it halftime. There's any number of things that really are kind of like, they don't, they are not necessary to have your full attention. But there are some things that just it's like a matter of respect and a matter of my enjoying it fully. I don't want it to be that it's this little partial attention. That- I wouldn't say no time to die is the ultimate top of my favorite James Bond movies. It's definitely a good stop for daniel craig's arc and there's a lot of again it's james bond we're not going for the nobel prize in literature it's a popcorn movie with action and it's got guns and it does very well it's a good story though it really is different for bond so you're right it needs your attention for the two and a half hours of what it is yeah yeah that's my biggest objection to it was that the villain and why am i missing his name ramey ramey the guy that did uh, the, the Queen documentary, Freddie exactly. Mercury. He's underused. He really, he's an intense actor and they have, still have Blofeld. So he distracts from this new guy. It, I would have been happy with him just being his own kind of crazy and uh, that he would have had a chance to chew a little bit more scenery and stuff. But anyway, 
I really like that for all the things you just said. A great end to Daniel Craig. And that showing an aging James Bond where he's not like impervious to harm, but actually has to kind of gather himself after he's been right. really blown up multiple around, times, blown up, et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> you know, ears ringing and stuff. It's it's the nobility of he's going to do his duty, even if he's really not able to do it fully anymore. He's got a bad knee and stuff like that. And yet he masters himself. He gathers himself and does amazing things. That's yeah. so yay yeah. for old people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's so, a new world, <laughs> James Bond, definitely. Exactly. So. All right, all right. You got to get Take going. Care. Thank you very much. Talk exactly. to you later. All right, bye-bye. You have been listening to the Relentless Geekery Podcast. Come back next week and join Alan and Stephen's conversation on Geek Topics of the Week. <laughs>